0: Hi everybody, welcome to the conversation. Mark Thompson here for Jank and for all the other hosts who have filled in for (laughs) Jank along the way. This is our COVID hut where we are, and it's sort of a guerrilla TV. But it's our pleasure to really have a couple of great guests for you. I'm so excited about talking to this first person because of her eminent qualifications for most anything you can imagine and certainly to serve in the US Senate. And so quickly, let me welcome Dr. Marav Ben David. I'll put my credibility glasses on so I don't mess up your intro. And I say that for a reason. I'm not just being cute. I mean, you really are a remarkably gifted academic, as well as it would seem a lot of those academics well applied to the state for which you'd like to be representative and that's Wyoming. You got a PhD in wildlife management from the University of Alaska. Uh, you worked as a professor at the University of Wyoming. You've uh, worked as a chairperson in the Department of Zoology and, and Physiology at the University of Wyoming. You were a wildlife researcher. You were the author of over 100 peer reviewed publication as a wildlife researcher and tour guide. And and I mentioned these things and I've just skimmed it because when you think about Wyoming, you think about what a massive and, and stunning natural resource Wyoming is for America. And I, Uh, along with many other Americans worry very much for the future of Wyoming. And I know that's where you live and you're very worried about that future as well. So you bring that uh, those eminent qualifications uh, to this desire to represent Wyoming and I welcome you to the conversation.
1: Thank you very much. It's a pleasure being here and indeed you're right. Uh, There was a very uh, significant reason why I came to live in Wyoming. And it was the environment. It was access to public lands, to open spaces, clean water and air, I lived in Alaska for 10 years before I took the job here in Wyoming. And I made the decision to come here. I had other job offers in other states, but the main reason I came here is because we have snow on the ground for nine months of the year. And I my main Sport that keeps me sane is skiing, skiing and ski touring with dogs. So, this is the place for me.
0: Well, you know, you talk about public lands. I know that in many of the materials and in many of the remarks that you've made publicly, you talk about how public land should remain public, and that's something that is threatened under this administration and other administrations. It's important for Wyoming to have strong representation. I would think in that regard that makes such common sense. But on the other hand, as I say, those lands are threatened.
1: Yes, as we've seen with the current administration, they have shrunk the sizes of monuments such as Bell Ears National Monument and Escalante National Monument. Both of which are fantastic places that I've taken my students to before they were reduced in size. In fact, I have the last map of the original Bel Ears National Monument before they you know, took away some of the protected lands. We cannot um, we cannot allow development to threaten one of the main resources that we do have here in Wyoming. It's not just that we like it emotionally; it's a very important emotional resource, of course. But it's also the source of revenue for uh, our second largest industry, which is tourism. People come to Wyoming. 12 months of the year. Like me, they like the outdoors. Like me, they like wildlife. Like me, they like, you know, being able to ski and hunt and fish. So, tourism is the second uh, largest industry we have. And with the first one declining so fast, especially this year, the fossil fuel industry, we need to make sure that we keep the Resource that funds us um, intact.
0: Well, how do you push back against such moneyed interests like the fuel, uh, the fossil fuel industry, when it comes to uh, Wyoming and it comes to so many of these lands in the West that represent, in their judgment, and the judgment of many Americans who feel we want to be energy independent? You hear all of these things. Uh, how do you push back against uh, these these huge, as I say, uh, corporate and moneyed business interests?
1: So I don't have to push back against anything. I am looking at what's happening to us without any interference from actually what we do here in Wyoming. The global demand for coal, oil and gas is declining. We are seeing it, we have seen it for decades. It's not anything new. I can't tell you how many budget cuts we've gone through here because of the reduced revenue from coal especially. It's not anything that any Wyomingite says or claims or wants to push. This is happening, this is reality. My proposal or my vision is, okay, this is happening, we're gonna sit here and complain and drift away and fall off a cliff. Or are we going to come up with an alternative plan, a plan that will work for us? Because a very common saying we have here is "Let's keep Wyoming, Wyoming." Uh, we have a certain character as a state, and we want to keep it that way. A big part of it involves the outdoors and public lands. So the question is, how do we do this at a time where you know we are losing our main source of revenue? And there are a lot of options. There are a lot of options that we should be pursuing and uh, investing in that will create high-paying jobs, stable. Stable economy here in Wyoming.
0: Well, you know, I'm glad you touch on this because Dr. Ben David, in, in looking at those things that describe you and and your position papers, and in, in regard to those things that you've touched on, I'm talking about plans for the future. You're quite specific, which is which is impressive. I mean, you know, a lot of the politicians with whom we we hope you'll be serving alongside may. You know, speak in platitudes, but I don't know that there are a lot of specifics to, to back up their quote plans. I remember reading about a plan you had, the three R's or something like that. I'm sorry, I don't have it quite on, but you, maybe you know to which I'm referring, this plan. It's quite specific in the road ahead that you plan for Wyoming.
1: Right. So it's rescue, reimagine, and rebuild. Oh, it is
0: the three R's. (laughs) Yeah, the
1: three (laughs) R's. Yeah, good memory. Yeah, rescue, reimagine, and rebuild. And a big part of the reimagine is those relying on these new technologies, these new innovations that are, you know, I read about things every week. Especially if you read the technology and and scientific literature, that's what you see. The the new proposals, new ideas, and what I try to do is find the ones that will fit Wyoming. So we have a lot of resources here such as thorium, rare earth minerals, helium, that uh, we have some of the best deposits in North America. You know, We might need to leave coal and oil and gas in the ground, but that doesn't mean we have to leave the others in the ground. So I'm trying to find those technological innovations that will be uh, suited for Wyoming, that we have the resources for in Wyoming, and that we will be able to uh, use to pursue a new economy.
0: This is interesting because what I'm hearing and what you're saying is that there is a balance. There's a balance between those things that are associated with getting the resources out of the ground and taking advantage of natural resources that exist in Wyoming while also respecting the land and respecting that delicate balance within the land, the ecosystem. That's why I'm really drawn to your profile, because I feel if anyone understands that balance, I'm talking about the ecological balance, the scientific delicate balance of nature there in Wyoming, it's you. So you're saying, yeah, you strike that balance in the plan ahead in terms of using resources and taking care of those industries that still want to exist in Wyoming. Taking care of industries
1: that will support Wyoming workers. Yes, definitely. We, I, I talk to so many people, and they're losing their jobs. And that's the last thing we want to happen. And so my plan is to make sure that we make a just transition. And not only that, that we attract industries that will make sure that our young people stay here. Right now, we are training me included as a professor. We are uh, training our uh, human capital to be the best in the world, and then we don't offer them any opportunities here, and they have to leave the state. In fact, we are the uh, uh, fastest aging state in the nation because our young people have nothing to do here, and they have to leave. So it's all, you know, it all comes back to the same idea that. We want to protect Wyoming, we want to make sure it's it has a thriving future, and we want to make sure that we take care of the people here, and that's my goal.
0: Uh, give me the, the brutal politics of the situation there. I mean, obviously, we're getting to the end of the race, but I'm wondering, how is the money raised? What is the media exposure? What are they receptive to? What messages are they not so receptive to? Have you been able to get, give us a sense of, have you been able to get uh, media spotlight shown on you?
1: Yes, we we have had the media, especially lately, uh, and we had a debate, and the debate was very interesting. I recommend to people to go and look it up. Um, we get media attention mostly locally, very little uh, attention on uh, nationally. Thank you for highlighting my race. We have been endorsed by the Biden, by Joe Biden. Elizabeth Warren and Ed Markey. So, our campaign is getting national attention, maybe not from the media, but definitely from colleagues, which is great. We are very excited. Also, several environmental organizations have endorsed us, as Sierra Club, Friends of the Earth. So, we feel very, very good about that. The race is going good. You know, we have raised half a million dollars, all from grassroots, nothing from any. Uh, big donors. Uh, we, ha- we are forcing the opponent, Cynthia Lummis, to spend money. She had to spend $2 million this last uh, month uh, because she's threatened. And this is a very, very red state. You know, people uh, think that we don't have a chance, but uh, I think we do.
0: I want to encourage everyone to read more about you, Dr. Meraz Ben David, and uh, you can. See it at ben David2020.com. It's Ben David, if you want to. I'm trying to give you the authentic Israeli pronunciation. Ben David2020.com. And you're at M Ben David2020 on Twitter. M Ben David2020. I think you're incredibly qualified. is one of the reasons I was excited about speaking with you, and I love your environmentalism. I love how you embrace science and I wish you the very best. Thank you so much for spending time with us on the conversation. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to the conversation. Mark Thompson here for Jank. You can see me with my background of. It's a velvet curtain or something. I don't know what it, it's like. A it looks like a, it's like a Nevada brothel is what it looks like, or or a magic show. <laughs> One of the two is going to happen. But it's a really I'm really excited to have Kyle Kalinsky on. You know Kyle Kalinsky. You know Kyle Kalinski through TyT. You know him through Secular Talk, which is his channel within the TyT network. And his takes are so clean, and he's legitimately one of the great progressive voices that's out there in the universe. And you can find them daily on YouTube with different takes on all the things that are going on and are so very relevant to life in America, particularly at this troubled time. Kyle Kalinske, welcome to the conversation.
2: Thank you so much for having me, man, I appreciate it. It's great to talk to you. And right off the bat, I just want to say I've never had my commentary described as clean, which I enjoyed. I like that very much. Um, I think I'm gonna steal that and use that from now on because I like that descriptor. <laughs> and uh, can't let the Nevada brothel thing slide. That's hilarious.
0: And um, <laughs> I mean it does have. I don't know. I just put, I actually had to MC. I'll tell you this just quickly. I had to MC an event, and they put this background up, and I it they never came and picked it up. So it's been here for like a month. And I, it, that reminds me of a brothel.
2: Yeah, I like how you like you did the blurred feature thing, and that
0: makes it look even more like a brothel. <laughs> oh, oh great! Yeah. Well, it's it, it's unf- I, I, if it were a brothel, there'd be a lot more interesting stuff going on in this house <laughs> than there is. But uh, regrettably, this is where the brothel ends. Uh, Kyle, wow! I mean, uh, this is a this is a time in our history that is um, so urgent. You know, and I wish the options for America were better, but they're not. And I'm sure for you, I mean, a true progressive, cutting edge progressive, it has to be a bitter pill to swallow to look at the, you know, at the options. But I wonder if you can give us a minute or two on, you know, sort of the the state of the progressive movement and what we see in this election that's coming up.
2: That's a, that's a that's a difficult question there. So the state of the progressive movement. Um, listen, I got to be honest. With the defeat of Bernie, that was a, that was a serious serious blow because we were this close to really getting power. Because had he won the nomination, I'm convinced it was a cakewalk to the White House. So, you know, it hurt it hurt a lot and then of course after that happened there's the postmortem and everybody weighs in on what they think is going on and there's definitely not agreement on the left i mean i think overwhelmingly you're going to see progressives um they're going to vote for biden in higher numbers than they voted for hillary because biden just doesn't have that x factor that people dislike about him as much i think the votes for the green party won't be nearly as much as they were in 2016 so he'll get the votes but in terms of the grassroots i think the grassroots is more split in terms of where to go from here because um you know it's difficult a lot of people are saying after bernie's loss that perhaps direct action is a is a better path and electoralism has burnt us one too many times so in other words i think what they mean is you know you go the path of a general strike or you go the path of Organizing outside of the political system and get more directly involved in in the economic system and you know maybe start worker own co ops and things of that nature but you know it, it's difficult and um, there's no unfortunately to go back to what you said earlier there's no clean answers to this and we're all just trying to do as best as we as we possibly can moving forward and I got to tell you these days I have more questions myself than I do answers and that's an uncomfortable place to be in.
0: Yeah, I think that that's a a reasonable way to look at it because um, I feel the lessons of the last election, where we sort of said, uh, "No, I won't. uh, I won't swallow the pill of Hillary Clinton or whatever it might be of uh, of the corporatocracy. Uh, I I won't watch an election uh, or a candidacy be stolen from me or however you know whatever arithmetic or version of that arithmetic was done." It it, it left us with a, with a presidency that's presented even greater challenges and, and, and a looting of the US Treasury and a destruction of the environment that's irreparable, in my judgment, and in many ways, in many places. And so this time, we sort of feel like, all right, yeah, I guess I just got to, you know, I'm not running to the ballot box, but I'm going to make it. And I've got to do this thing. But understanding that that still pushes forward a corporate agenda,
2: yeah. you know that and I spoke about this a little bit on my show that there's no unfortunately, there's no substitute for winning, you know, and we didn't win the primary. You know, we could get into why and how that came about. But the fact of the matter is once you lose, there is no silver bullet. So there are some people who would say, Listen, you just got to make a clean break from the Democratic Party, start a third party, build from the ground up. And, but even those people admit, like, well, obviously, this is like a multi decade plan. It's not like you're going to all of a sudden create a third party, immediately get ballot access, immediately unrig the system and win the election now. So, like, it's a multi decade process. So that's not a clean answer. But then at the same time, people who advocate, as I did, for taking over the Democratic Party. You acknowledge that that's also a really long battle and an uphill fight. And, you know, we have had our victories. There are plenty of Justice Democrats in Washington, D.C. now. There's a real left flank that has emerged. But, you know, fact of the matter is, it's also true that once you get to the swamp, the swamp also changes you, even if you have the best of intentions. So, you know, again, there's no substitute for winning. And I wish I could just press rewind, go back in time to when Bernie won those first three primaries. And just really steer that ship in a better way after it looked like Biden was edging ahead. Because I do think there were some arguments that Bernie could have made that were really politically potent that could have actually won him the primary. I mean really, the die was cast as soon as Amy Klobuchar and Mayor Pete dropped out and threw their support behind Biden. And then Elizabeth Warren kind of stayed in because then like all so many votes consolidated behind Biden and Bernie's 30% chunk was no longer enough when previously it was enough. But I wish we could go back in time and you know I could tell him okay here's what you do from here you compare Joe Biden to Hillary Clinton you say hey we ran the experiment of the safe choice and the safe choice didn't work so let's learn our lesson here we have and then of course the pandemic and everything hit there's never a better time for the guy who's running on universal healthcare to be like I'm the only one with the answers here are we kidding so, you know, that's just a little bit, but we could get into more if you'd like.
0: No, and I love that you mentioned the pandemic because I saw the pandemic as, look, it's an unmitigated horror, don't get me wrong, I mean, in across the board. But with that said, it's an opportunity for real political change. And as you say, I mean, for real institutional change, because people are desperate for not only something, but something that works in the area of healthcare. So you're right. I think that it, oddly, the pandemic would have represented a real progressive opportunity.
2: Yeah. It kills me that, you know, just watching the debate the other night, you have Trump, you know, saying, oh, Biden wants to kick you off your private insurance, 180 million Americans. And then Biden's like, no, 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 no. I love private insurance. And I'm standing there like, <laughs> oh, God, no. You're supposed yeah. to say that's a mafia, and I'm going to get the mafia off your back, and they're going to stop price gouging you. And yes, I'm for socialized medicine because it works.
0: Right. But he's too busy saying, I love fracking. Don't worry, fracking uh, is correct. Oh. <laughs> I mean, this is the frustrating thing when we talk about this you know they say and i don't know what biden really loves i don't know what any politician really loves i mean you know trump loves trump i mean you know what the hell he's just kind of turned the keys over to uh, to the right but that said they have to say certain things and appeal to certain uh, constituencies in order to win this is the inherent failing i think of the system i mean not only are you uh, do you have to pledge a sort of uh, implicit fealty to money but also to constituencies that need you to hang on to things even if they make no sense, like fracking.
2: Yeah, I see, I think it's the constituency thing because honestly, the on the actual policy issues like seventy percent of the country is for Medicare for all. So when they're signaling against Medicare for all, what that is is a signal to the donor class, to the for-profit health insurance companies, to the corporations and the billionaires, like, hey, hey hey, I'm cool, I'm cool. That's not something that the voters want. It's not like the voters are like, please, I need to be close with Humana and Aetna. No, nobody cares about, about them as entities. They just rip us off nonstop. So I think it's the constituency thing that you said where it's more about calming the nerves of the donor class. And the last thing that we need right now is a version of politics that appeases the donor class and doesn't really help the people, especially at a time like right now when everybody's hurting economically.
0: That's a real interesting thing. Uh, Thing that you mentioned, because you'd think if you're looking for votes, you would do as far as coming in with positions. You'd express positions that are essentially consistent with 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 polling. That's what the Clinton administration did when Bill Clinton was president, right? I mean, in essence, he would he would move his public policy, or at least his articulated public policy, along with the political wins. But that's not the way it works.
2: No and you do see this widening gulf between public opinion and Washington DC and even the messaging coming out of Washington DC and it it's at the point where it's almost like comical how out of touch they are and um you know I'm telling you all you need is one politician let me run their campaign and I'll have them you know win over 35 states in a presidential election because it's, politics is not rocket science. You tell people what they want to hear. You lean into the things where you're popular. You don't touch the things where you're not popular, and then you know you curb stomp your way to victory. And the way it works right now is we have two deeply unpopular politicians who are saying deeply unpopular things, but we're also in such a hyper partisan time that you know it, it almost like Biden winning was purely an anti-Trump thing where people were thinking, oh he's the safe one, so I have to go with the safe one. And you know, it's like we keep settling for less and less and the results are horrific.
0: Find Kyle Kalinske, what a great way to stop. <laughs> the results are horrific. <laughs> <laughs> Find bring Kyle the good news. Uh, secular Talk is on YouTube, check it out. As I say, uh, constant updates, constant clean takes, as I was saying before on so many different things. Uh, Kyle, I, I love your stuff, love talking to you. I'd love to get you on the podcast and we'll continue with this. But until then, I look forward to more from Secular Talk and we appreciate you coming by today.
2: My pleasure, man. It was nice talking to you.
0: All right, so long. See you. Bye. That's Kyle Kalinski, and thank you all for stopping through. Until next time, bye bye.